It's Sunday, and you tune in to the last episode of the year for your favorite weekend podcast. You're filled with trepidation because you know Jeff is still on vacation, but you buckle in anyway. You're in luck. It's time for another story time with Chooch. Folks, we're so glad you joined us again. Pour yourself a cup of something hot and strong and warm up to the Philco for another edition of Storytime. The end of the year is a perfect time for reflection, so I've goaded Gordon into opening his memory box yet again. Like last time, we're going to take you a bit farther back than the past 12 months, though. In part one of Storytime with Chooch, we we spent most of our time in the 19th century with true tales told to a little boy involving the colorful history of his family. And you might want to listen to that one, Coffee with Jeff, episode 158, before this one, since we're moving through history roughly chronologically. And uh, also, that'll... that'll, um, give you the hint as to who Chooch is. Anyway, if you already caught that episode, you know who Chooch is already, so there won't be any M. Night Shyamalan-type reveal in this episode. Or will there be? This podcast is part of the SciCon Network. You can support this podcast and others like it by becoming a subscriber at patreon.com forward slash SciCon. That's C-S-I-C-O-N. A link can be found on the Coffee with Jeff website. Just a dollar or two is all it takes to keep these podcasts going. Thank you for your support. Anyway, I think it's time to hand the microphone over to Gordon. Okay, so we're going to start off with, uh, oh, we'll call it, Time to Whip the British at Last. My grandfather, Ensel Mendel Tenner, was born in 1897, uh, was born of an Irish father and a nice, you know, Pennsylvania German mother. His father, well, both parents, actually, they were Protestants, though. Most of the Irish you think about would be Catholic. They were Protestant. But uh, nevertheless, they didn't really care much for the English either direction. My great-grandfather, Robert Tenor, was a dentist, and he and my grandmother had, uh, or great-grandmother, rather, had attended Bethany College in Wheeling, West Virginia. I think it's in Wheeling. Anyway, in West Virginia. And uh, so did my grandfather. Well, his older brother and sister had gone, and they got full boat ride college with you know, fraternity and sorority and stuff. Well, there's no money when my grandfather got there, so he was having to work his way through. And when would this have been? Uh, well, it would have been in the uh, early teens of the last century, so just a little over 100 years ago. Well, my grandfather, Ensel, decided <clears throat> he was tired of this foolishness, and he was going to join the Navy. So his mother marched him right down to the... Uh, recruiter and off he went into the navy. So that was that one of those I'm tired of people telling me what to do. I'm going to join the military. Yeah, probably. <laughs> anyway, the navy was pretty happy. They had this kid who already had two years of college under his belt and uh, enlisting. So they sent him off, and he became a yeoman. 
Uh, Yeoman's basically a guy who does paperwork. Now, he was in the Black Gang, which is what they used to call the Snipes, the guys down in the boiler room. Uh, Mm, I wonder why they called them the Black Gang. (laughs) Yeah, it's a coal-fired ship. He was... uh, I was going to say sentenced. He was uh, assigned to the old New Jersey, the battleship uh, BB-16. Not the one that you think of from World War II, but the one that got sunk by Billy Mitchell in 1923. Anyway, <clears throat> here he was in the Black King. And by the way, I want to brag on this guy. He became a chief in uh, 1918. He was all of 21 years old, which is pretty darn good. Uh, moving up from the ranks to get to chief by the time you're 21. Anyway, the story he told, and I heard as a youngster, was that, you know, here he joined the Navy because, well, there's a war on, right? And, well, we're going to fight the British. So what's a better place to fight the British than in the Navy, right? And apparently he was not the only person at the beginning of the war, who thought we were going to war with the most likely enemy. Right. I mean, we'd been at loggerheads with Britain for the last, oh, I don't know, 100 plus years by that time. So there was a pretty good sized population in the United States, not just the German American population, but the Irish American population, who was more than happy to go to war with Britain. So the fun part about this is here he was itching to go to war with Britain. And they're out to sea in April of 1917. They get a communication over the wireless. War is declared. Huzzah! Radio silence is ensues. Well, they didn't bother saying who with. Oh. <laughs> so his claim was they were at sea for two weeks without actually knowing who we were at war with. Was it the Germans or was it with the British? Uh, most of the crew was more than happy to fight the British because that's why they joined the Navy. Uh, but anyway, it turned out to be the Germans, but they didn't find out for a while. So it makes for, gee, hilarity ensues kind of a story. What do you do if you run across a British or a German ship? Who do you shoot at first? Anyway, that was the story I heard. Now, of course, he and my other grandfather, who was in the Army... They would go round and round over who we should have fought. Uh, my grandfather, Fry, was more than happy to fight the Germans. Um, <laughs> yeah. But my grandfather, Tenor, who was German and Irish, <laughs> thought... Now, did you ever meet these guys? Were they were they long gone by the oh, time Oh, no, Mike, I knew both of them quite Oh, okay. Well. So you heard them talking oh, about Oh, yeah. I, I, remember, I remember some of the, the interesting conversations when I was a little bitty guy. So, huh. yeah, they both they passed away when I was 12 and 13, respectively. But but I, I got to know them pretty well, so it was rather interesting. But, yeah, we're joining the Navy to go whoop the British. Whoops. Oh, oops. Yeah. yeah. Now, speaking of Germans, you have a story that involves your mother. Yes. From when she was little. Yes. Involving some uh, transportation technology. Yes. My mother, uh, of course, this grandfather, Ensel, because her father, um, she grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, I was actually raised by her grandparents because of a long story, which I'm not going to get into. This would have been in the She was born in 1919. Oh, okay. So... um, Way back. Yeah. So in, what was it, 33? Anyway. um, So after the First War. After the First World War, um, she was uh, 
growing up there in Brooklyn, and her grandmother said, oh, Gracie, you need to go to the store and pick something or another up. So she was walking down the street, going to the local market. She looked over towards New York, towards Manhattan, and there, passing the Empire State Building, was the Hindenburg. On its way to On its to way New to New Jersey. Jersey. Yep, it was oh, kind of stormy, goodness. and so they did not stop at the Empire State Building like they were planning on, and instead they went on to New Jersey, where, of course, disaster struck. Yeah. And the whole thing burned. So my mom actually got to watch the Hindenburg go sailing over New York. Yeah, because didn't they, when they built the Empire State Building, the whole gimmick was going to be they were ready for the next wave and the newest technology of air transportation. So that whole, there there was a mooring mast. There yes. is a mooring mast there at is. the top of the Empire State Building where they would moor and then a gangway would come down and people would... Right, people were supposed to walk down this <laughs> rather rickety hundreds gangway. Hundreds and hundreds of feet in the air. Yeah, yeah. No thanks. So that mooring mast wasn't simply for, you know, huge apes to hang off of. Oh, I thought he went on the Chrysler Building. Was it, I thought it was the Empire State Building. Everyone thinks that. I think it's the Chrysler Oh, building. anyway. And I could be wrong. Well, anyway. Write um, in and let us know. <laughs> the one on the Empire State Building was actually for dirigibles to... Uh, hmm. To more to anyway yeah that's kind of cool my mom got to watch the hindenburg now there's also now we're going to move on to the second world war when your father came yes. you came along and your father got involved yes and and my it, my parents actually got married in 1940 uh and you know they were they were young but uh in 1941 uh in december in fact on a sunday December 7th of 1941, my parents, who were already married, uh, were visiting my dad's parents. And they're getting ready for, uh, you know, Sunday afternoon dinner. My dad said he was carrying a pie across the kitchen <clears throat> from one counter to another. When he heard over the radio a bold announcement that Pearl Harbor had been bombed oh. by the Japanese. Oh, my word. And... He said, he told me that he said to himself, I'm going to be drafted and drop the pie. <laughs> oh, no. So not only was did he drop the pie, he was also right. He did get drafted uh, not terribly long afterwards. Even though he was married, he was still a 21-year-old kid, and off you go. Now, what did your dad end up doing during the war? Uh, he, because he had a strong chemistry background, in fact, he was pre-med uh, in college, he um, ended up being in the medical department. He, in, what, in what theater? Uh, Pacific Theater. So um, he ended up, uh, first off, actually, he got sent up up to where we live, up to uh, the Pacific Northwest. Uh, he went uh, to, uh, he was at Fitzsimmons, uh, pardon me, he was at Fitzsimmons in Denver for a while, but he was also at uh, Madigan Hospital at uh, Fort Lewis, just uh, outside of Tacoma, Washington. And there, uh, he was stationed there for a while. And my mother, of course, again, they were already married. She decided to come up and visit and stay here for a while. So she got an apartment in Seattle with her little sister, oh. my Aunt Jean. Well, my mother got a job at the local Y teaching swimming. All right, that's sort of what she did. She ended up being a PE teacher because she loved doing outdoorsy things and stuff. So um, here she was. She said she was standing on the a corner ready to cross the street and this guy in a fancy new you know 1942 dodge car drives up 
<clears throat> rolls down the window and asks her on a date. <laughs> and my mother, my mother was so sweet and naive. She said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm married, but my sister's not. And so... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Grace. <clears throat> yeah, so she arranges a date between this guy she would never didn't know and her younger sister. Who would they end up... Get, they ended up getting married, in oh. fact. Well, this fellow, my uncle, and I will only call him Uncle Ralph. I never met him, but I guess he was quite a character. Uh, he was well off. And the reason he was well off is he had a deal with some of the supply people, the quartermaster's department at Fort Lewis. Ahem. Uh, they were getting top quality beef as part of the quartermaster department, right? From the army. Well, <clears throat> there was a very strong demand for such things from the finer restaurants in Seattle. I'm guessing this deal was somewhat under the table. Somewhat. And so, like he would, my dad said he'd pull into a service station, a gas station, and say, fill her up. And the guy at the gas station would say, what are you, nuts? You got to have, where's your gas Yeah, there's a war stamps. on. Yeah. Where's, where's your ration Where's your tickets? ration stamps? And my and the Uncle Ralph would say, what kind of steak are you having for Sunday dinner? And the guy would say, yep, fill her up. <laughs> <clears throat> My dad, in fact, also said that he went to some private club. I don't know, the Rainier Club or something. And uh, he was a corporal at this point, right? Your dad was a corporal. My dad was okay. a corporal. So he and my mom and Uncle Ralph and my Aunt Jean went there. My dad was carrying Uncle Ralph's private case of champagne. <laughs> he said the next highest, next lowest rank above him there was a major. Uh. Okay. My dad's an an E4 and the, you know, enlisted rank four and the next guy up is an O4, officer rank four. Okay. That's quite a difference. Anyway, he said the officers there gave him quite an interesting look because what's a corporal doing here at the club? Who's he know? Mm -hmm. Well, that was that was Ralph. Anyway, so <clears throat> after the war ended and uh, things, rather loose uh, arrangements like that were starting to become unraveled and uh, sheriffs were getting interested in such things, uh, he and my dear aunt um, ended up having to take off for Alaska. They took off in... Rather precipitously. Precipitously. They had two rowboats and one engine between them. And uh, one towed the other, and they went from Seattle to Ketchikan. In two little open boats. Two open rowboats. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yep. And... Uh, yeah, look at a map, people. That's no mean feat. That's quite... A, yeah. And this was, would have been in, what, August or August or September? Of 1945. Well, at least the weather was decent. The weather was good. But yeah, my aunt had interesting stories about that. I bet. <clears throat> In fact, uh, she got pregnant with my cousin, uh, one of my favorite cousins, and while they were in Ketchikan. <laughs> and I guess she had a craving for fried chicken, which Uncle Ralph... Dutifully went out and found some fried chicken out in the middle of nowhere. By boat. He by had to boat. get in another little boat and go yep. find her some chicken. Yeah. And when he got it and he brought it back, she said she couldn't stand the smell of it. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, there it is. Um, what can you say? So 
so meanwhile, back during the war, your dad had some adventures. He I think, did. He in the was South Pacific. he was sent off to the island of Saipan. Mm. Uh, he was trained as a medic, but he ended up being part of a what three or four man crew who actually they did autopsies on rare diseases of the South Pacific. Ah. Yeah, he had some stories about that too. Anyway, one of the officers of the unit he was in. Uh, well, he was the guy that had the key to the five-gallon, or is it 50-gallon? I guess it was a 50-gallon drum of grain alcohol. Which was used to sterilize Sterilize things, you name it. Whatever, okay. whatever. So your dad had the key. He had okay. the key. Uh, and they had plenty of pineapple juice, too. Because you're in the South Pacific. Because you're in the South Pacific. They got issued that stuff. And every once in a while, one of the officers would say, Sergeant Fry, I think we need some pineapple juice. Okay. And that was code to go fill up glasses or cups, actually, uh, about 50 50 with, with pineapple, pineapple juice, juice and, and grain alcohol. Oh. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's rough and ready mixed drink. <laughs> yeah. He also said after the end of the war, after war was, you know, was, as, uh, had been finished. Uh, <clears throat> they had 1 million cases of beer on Saipan that was getting ready to be issued to guys as part of the um, campaign against oh, Japan. Oh, the invasion of Japan. 1 million cases that they weren't going to be using. So they had all this beer. They said, hey, have at it, guys. He said he got beer for breakfast, beer for lunch, beer for dinner, <laughs> and they'd go fill up a deuce and a half in the evening, go watch movies, and drink beer all evening. Oh, my word. Yeah, he gained 40 pounds <laughs> while he was overseas. Every kid I knew, and in fact, every kid I grew up with, his father was a World War II vet, they couldn't come near fitting their uniforms from World War II. My dad's hung on him. <laughs> Because he lost that oh, 40 pounds. Oh, because he was heavy during the war. He got, yeah, yeah he got, his last uniform was huge on him when, you know, sure. 20, 30 years later. Yeah. So, and because he wasn't at the front lines, he was doing, <laughs> and like they had, they had coolers to keep bodies in. Right. He actually had the only cold beer on the island because they had, they had a, the cooler. <laughs> they had a four person cooler. For the so they could keep bodies. the beer cold. Yeah, so he said it was <laughs> annoying when the fourth body came in because they had to pull all the beer out. Aww. So if you've ever watched MASH, yeah, it ain't that far from reality. Hmm. But speaking of my dad, uh, he said that there wasn't a lot to do on the island, even during the war. I mean, they'd finish their job during the day, and then they would go watch airplanes take off. Um, the big... Uh, or at least one of the big Air Force uh, airfields was actually on Tinian, which was just across a very small strait, uh, uh, narrow strait between Tinian and Saipan. And they would watch the B-29s take off to go firebomb Japan. Um, and then one day. Yeah, one day in early August, he said, just one took off. I said, what the heck? That's weird. Usually it's a hundred of them. Why is it only one? Which one was it? It was the Enola Gay. Yeah. So interestingly enough, my parents, one got to watch the Hindenburg go over New York. My, and the other one got to watch the Enola Gay take off. Wow. So rather you're, interesting. You're a Forrest Gump by proxy. I'm kind of, for <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid so. I'm kind of Forrest Gumpish. 
luckily I don't really care much for chocolates. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing all your stories. And I'm and it just occurred to me as we're recording this that now now your kids need to download all these yep. things because now you find we finally got you recording. I finally recorded some of these stories. Yeah, we've been meaning to do this for years. So thanks, Jeff. That was good impetus to get that done. Absolutely. Well, folks, remember, without your benevolent support, this and the other shows at the SciCon Network would not exist. If you're not already a supporter, I encourage you to consider becoming one. Just go to SciCon.fm. That's C-S-I-C-O-N dot F-M. Look for the Patreon link at the top of the page. Of course, a sincere thank you to everybody who already supports the network. We're your one-stop shop for a variety of shows, including the weekly Geek Days, hosted by Brecky Thomason, a digest of pop culture, tech, and general nerdiness. We're also going to be starting back up the podcast, What's in a Name? With uh, This time, instead of always having Gordon as the second mic on the show, we're going to get my cousin Deb in there. She's, um, I think you'll find her entertaining, so we'll, uh, we'll get that going again soon. If you're so inclined, you can even email Jeff directly with comments and suggestions or just to say hi at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com. If you're on Twitter, follow Jeff there too at at coffeewithjeff. And there's even a Coffee with Jeff page on Facebook. As Jeff reiterates regularly, story ideas are always welcome. If you'd like to support the show but are low on cash, head over to iTunes and leave a nice review or some stars. This really actually helps other people find the show. We'd like to thank Jeff for letting us do his podcast this week, Brecky Thomason for having the show on the SciCon Network, David Metzger for the snazzy Coffee with Jeff logo, Kelly Rickert for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme, and to all of you who listen to the show every week, thank you so much. And of course, a special shout out to all of you who repost the show across social media. You have a special place in our hearts. Coffee with Jeff. Meow.